What's up, sinners and choosers? Welcome to another episode of Choose Your Own Religion. My name is Joe. Thank you so much for tuning in today. My guest today is Erica Gerard, who is a wonderful storyteller here in Los Angeles. Rather than trying to uh, explain her background, I thought I would just play for you her story from the last live Choose Your Own Religion, uh, where she told a, a really great, touching story, and uh, I don't preface it more than that. So here's Erica Gerard, live at Neighborhood Unitarian Universalist Church in Pasadena, January 2019. She's a wonderful storyteller. Uh, I'm just so glad that she's here. Please give it up for Erica Gerard. I need someone to explain to me what an Episcopalian is. It's like one of those, it's like, um, it falls into the same category for me as like an orthopedist. I don't know what they are and what they do. So maybe after the show, somebody can, thanks Ruby, maybe you can explain it to me. Um, so five years ago, I, uh, decided to become a rabbi. I, uh, had become more religious at the time and I was looking for a new career and it just seemed like a good idea. Uh, I didn't really know what it would take to do this, um, but it seemed like mystical and mysterious. And so, you know, it was exciting. And I like to talk about things like life and death and God and all of these, you know, big topics. So I thought, oh, this is, this is perfect. Now, I didn't grow up in a household that um, believed in God, but I did grow up in a household that believed in food. So we always celebrated the Jewish holidays without any actual discussion of the religious part, um, which was totally fine for everyone in my family except for me. I wanted to, you know, philosophize and debate and get into it with them. And um, my mom would, you know, turn on Entertainment Tonight and she would say, um, 15 minutes of the Jewish stuff, okay? And then, and then we're gonna eat because people are hungry, Erica. And so when I told her that I decided to apply to rabbinical school, I was shocked that she actually thought that this was a good idea because she had never... Um, never agreed with me about any decision I had ever made in my entire life. So I thought, you know, like, this must be the right decision. I wondered if being religious was going to make me a happier person. Um, I was working as a waitress at um, Umami Burger, and I'm a vegetarian, so um, things weren't going very well for me at that time. So I decided to apply to rabbinical school, and I got in. And the first week there was really overwhelming. I was the youngest person there by like a lot, and and everyone was just like so excited to become a rabbi. Like it was a lot of, you know, second and third career folks. 
Um, now, I didn't go to like the A rabbinical school, okay? I went to the B school. The, the A school ha had like a campus with sweeping views. Um, mine was in an office building in Koreatown. But <laughs> I, uh, I loved it. I loved it. I loved my classes. I loved my teachers. I was learning more about Judaism than I ever had before. I felt really loved by everyone I went to school with. My classmates, the professors, everyone told me what a great rabbi I was going to be. But I never stopped feeling like a fraud because I didn't even know if I believed in God, but I was there to find out. You know, like when most people have a question about something, they read a book. I... <laughs> spent thousands of dollars and had to learn the most difficult language known to man to get the answers that I was looking for. Um, but that shows dedication. <laughs> so I, uh, I was offered, um, not offered, I interviewed to be an intern at um, Cedar sinai Hospital to be a chaplain in their spiritual care department. And I, I wore pantyhose to the interview, guys. I was very serious about it. it was serious pantyhose. Uh, and I, I got the job. And um, I still didn't feel anything. Whatever it was I was supposed to feel. And the only thing I was feeling was this resistance in the pit of my stomach that was just getting harder and harder to ignore. So I called up the um, dean of my program and I said to her, am I supposed to feel called to this work? because um, I don't feel called. And she said, well, it's different for everyone, but yeah, <laughs> you should. I didn't feel called. I wanted to though, so bad I wanted to because this was like the answer to everything, guys. It was like the answer to pleasing my parents, to finding my place in the world, to you know, have checking the boxes for my career. It was all this identity, this like instant identity. It was all wrapped up in this one choice and to walk away from it meant that I was walking away from all of it. But ultimately, I couldn't go through with it, and so I dropped out. I felt awful. I felt like I had disappointed everybody in my life, especially myself. 
so after several months of just feeling terrible, I decided to just get out of town. So I went to New York to go visit my best friend. And um, we were sitting uh, eating at a kosher restaurant in the Upper West Side, which, by the way, um, if you don't know this, kosher restaurants are terrible. Uh, it's the worst food you can imagine, the worst service possible, the prices are insane, it's the biggest scam in Judaism. I urge you to never eat at them unless you absolutely have to. <laughs> that was your public service announcement for the day. So I'm sitting outside of this kosher Moroccan restaurant eating my um, overpriced lentils when I hear the unmistakable sound of a truck hitting a person. And I looked up and I saw a woman lying in the street. And I don't know what came over me, but I got up from the table and I just ran towards her. And when I got there, I sat next to her, and there was this very large pool of blood that was just gushing bigger and bigger on the pavement. And everybody was screaming, and nobody knew what to do, and so I just took her head in my hands, and I, I tried to stop the blood and she wasn't able to speak she was just mumbling and I didn't know what to tell her I didn't know whether I should tell her that she was going to be okay because I didn't know if she was I didn't know if she was going to die right there in my hands so I just held her head, and I said, hi, my name is Erica, and you were in an accident, and I'm here, and I'm not going anywhere. I'm gonna stay here with you. And people were screaming. <laughs> I hear, I remembered just a man yelling into his cell phone. It was so loud looking at her and holding her head, everything was also very quiet. Um, so I waited and I talked to her again and I just explained what happened and that the ambulance was on the way and just tried to reassure her that I wasn't gonna go anywhere. And in that moment, I felt so peaceful, like a peace that I hadn't felt in years. And then the ambulance came and they asked me if I knew her and I said that I didn't. And then they took her into the ambulance and she left. 
And I sat there in the street with the stranger's blood all over my clothes. And I felt calm. And I tried to find out what happened to her. I don't know if she lived or if she died, but I think that she lived. It's just something that I believe. Now, I tell this because I thought that I needed to check all these boxes in life in order to feel a sense of purpose and belonging. But it really is much more simple than that because every day I was being called just to be a human being. And all I had to do was be quiet and just listen. Thank you. So thank you to Erica for coming on the show and for letting us use that story and uh, for coming on the podcast. It was a really great conversation talking about her call to being a rabbi and her call away from being a rabbi. And uh, if you want to hear a story like hers or if you want to tell your live story, the next live Choose Your Own Religion will also be at Neighborhood Unitarian Universalist Church in Pasadena on March 29th at 7.30 p.m. That's March 29th at 7.30 p.m. That is a Friday. Uh, and I hope to see you out there. The last one was awesome. And I uh, can't wait to keep doing more of these at Neighborhood. Uh, you can find the event for that when it's made on the Facebook page. So if you follow the Facebook page, you can keep up with all all the new events and all the new stuff as it comes out. Uh, you can also go to choosearoundreligion.com for more old episodes. And if you like this show, uh, leave a rating, a review, or uh, tell a friend about it if you uh, if you like this show. Uh, recommend it next time somebody is looking for podcast recommendations. Uh, and other than that, thank you for being you. I love you. Here's Erica Gerard. Allow the soothing music and uplifting affirmations to center your heart and mind in an awareness of God's love. Wake up, my dear sinners. Wake up from your deep rest. Won't you say your prayers? Know that you are blessed. I love you, oh, but Jesus loves you the best. And I hope that you choose your own religion yeah yeah that works yeah yeah cool good uh we're good <laughs> we're good uh making sure wait say something else say something else all right yeah we're good you just have a, a sweet softer voice than me uh it's it's foolish is what it is uh, fool- <laughs> <laughs> wait, what's foolish well, you know, I think it just hasn't served me well in my what? career. Blasphemy. Well, get out of here. <laughs> Your soft voice hasn't served you well. In ver- it depends on various settings. Well, you know, I think you're not taken seriously when you have a, yeah. a sweet 
voice that tends to live in the higher register, mm. you know? Interesting. Especially when I was in my 20s, I, mm. it was, I felt like I really needed to lower my register in order huh. for, for people, to men especially, to take me seriously, Interesting. you know? Interesting, really? Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's, that's fascinating. I never really, really thought about that. <laughs> I guess sometimes I, uh, well, I'll catch myself, I'm not really thinking about it, but I will catch my voice modulating upward when I want to appear nicer. And I'm like, oh, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know that thing at the end of when you're asking, it sounds like you're asking a question at the end of a statement. Like, sure. Uh, and it's so good to have you over. <laughs> <laughs> See how unthreatening and I, and I am? I'm like, I'm sh- are you sure about that? Are you sure? <laughs> are you sure it is? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, well, let me devil's advocate. Uh, I bet when you went from sweet, soft Erica Gerard voice to like legitimately like pissed and angry and like you you know you turned a corner into some like uh, that must have been scary for other people to hear like the hear that switch turn probably. Um, I think maybe for some of my old boyfriends. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's who that's who most needs to hear it, right? That's who most needs to be threatened. And right, yeah. right. No. But professionally, sure. it it, uh, it made a difference. Sure, yeah, yeah. Well, especially because professionally, you can't really be honest like that. Like you can't just be screaming at people all the time. Usually, most people can't. Well, not screaming. I just mean not sounding, you know, young. Trying to sound older or, yeah. or lowering my register so would would allow me to communicate a point hmm. like I'm doing right now. Right. So with more conviction, more gravity. Sure. And I think I think a lot of women can relate yeah. to not being taken seriously unless you modulate your voice lower. Yeah. Well, that's probably <laughs> I would. I would imagine that's just one of like a bunch of different factors you <laughs> probably are thinking about is the reason, you know, a bunch of bullshit reasons why you wouldn't be taken seriously. Like among the bevy of, uh, of, uh, shit you have to deal with in a professional setting. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, you don't, because if you, if you sound too sweet and nice, you'll be relegated to the note taker. Mm, interesting. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. That's um, interesting. Can you just take the notes for us? Thanks so much. <laughs> oh, you have ideas? That's great. But how about you take ours down instead? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. But I will. Well, you have, uh, you, you do have a lot of gravitas as a storyteller. I will say that. Well, thank you. Um, I, I certainly, uh, I don't know. You, you have a you have good stage presence. You're, you're commanding up there. But, thank you. Yeah. Um, and I think other people would agree with me. Um, did you, wait, do you, <laughs> about to reveal how little I know about Judaism, despite me <laughs> having talked about it and <laughs> talked with a lot of people about Judaism before. Do rabbis give sermons? Yes. They do give sermons. Regu- also like, known as Devar Torahs, also known as, as Drashas. Oh, okay. And that's like on a weekly basis, like regularly? Yes. How long are they? Like 15 minutes or so? Well, it just depends on the rabbi, <laughs> I guess, and the congregation. But yeah. you know, it's it tends to be on Saturdays, uh-huh, right? As opposed to the Friday night service. Okay, yeah. And it tends to uh, it has some some bones, some some teeth in there. Uh huh. So, but it's like an average. Well, it de- I guess it depends on the Christian too, depending on uh, what pastor it is. Because I would say the average like Protestant mainline pastor, it's like. 
you know, a solid 10, 15 minutes. You know, maybe a, it's eight minutes for like a homily, 15 minutes for an average sermon or so. But then you think of like some of the non-denominational guys and like, you know, they're giving like 45 minute like PowerPoint presentations, <laughs> and, uh, you know, a different TED talk every week on uh, why you're going to hell or whatever it is. Ooh, you is know. that the frequent subject matter? I mean, I can't say that I've been to a ton of non-denominational churches. I did grow up Christian, but I grew up uh, Presbyterian, like uh, God is love style Presbyterian. And so we were, you know, and my dad is a, a pastor. And so it was, you know, a hot 15 in and out as far as the sermon goes. Like we had to, if the church would start at 11 and if it was like 12, 10, people would start getting antsy and riot. Wow. <laughs> wow. And you got to get home in time for football. It was 1 p.m. Uh, NFL games on the East Coast. You can't have people missing that. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you, so you, when you were in rabbinical school, how long would you, well, how long did you end up staying and how long is it normally that you, like it takes to go through rabbinical school? Well, I'll clarify that I was in a chaplaincy program within gotcha. a rabbinical school. Uh-huh. So at the one that I went to, you could choose kind of your track. Gotcha. And my track was to ultimately become a Jewish chaplain. Gotcha. But there was a ton of overlap with, sure. you know, the programs. Sure. Um, so I, I was in the pro, I was in the program for a year, mm-hmm. um, which was kind of the basic that every rabbinical student, every chaplaincy student, every cantorial student goes through. Gotcha. So in that track, you probably, I'm guessing you didn't, take a sermon class or I'm sorry, I can't remember the, the name you just said. A sermon's it. fine. You can say that. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's probably less offensive that I say sermon than like <laughs> try to say the Yiddish uh, version of it. Hebrew, but, but y- Hebrew. you know. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. See, there you go. I shouldn't even try. You sh- it's fine. It's fine. Well, don't wait, be, don't y- be embarrassed. What's Yiddish then? Yiddish is kind of a, um, it was a way for Jews to communicate with each other that, uh, not many people understood. It was kind of like a secret insider baseball oh, language. Okay. It's a, of German. It, it originated in oh, the German language. Gotcha. Um, and it's you know never really written down. It's just spoken casually. It's kind of like Spanglish in a way, like a mix of Spanish and English. But <laughs> there's it's a lot of words. Hebrew and uh, German kind uh, of. Mix. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Okay. Some of them are. I, I, and I don't know the language. It's kind of a dead language. But my grandmother used to speak it. And my mother spoke some of it to me when I was a kid. Interesting. Well, that's I certainly learned something. Uh, and hopefully I won't, uh, you know, make that mistake again. Don't. Let's just make a ground rule here yeah. that there's no mistakes, no shame. No okay. shame Thank you. No, Thank you know, you. nothing that you should be embarrassed to ask. Thank you. Yeah. I feel no shame from you. Great. Um uh, and I don't think you'll feel any shame from me. I'm not really a big Excellent. big shame giver, although I think it's in my DNA because my dad would make me feel guilty a lot. The, he he was a uh, he was big into I'm not mad, I'm disappointed. Even though he was also mad, but he would say <laughs> <laughs> I'm not mad, I'm disappointed. Oh, see, a Jewish parent would just be like, I'm mad as hell, <laughs> and I'm disappointed, <laughs> and I'm disappointed. Both, you've done both. Oh man. Um, so the so the the chaplaincy track is how you um, you ended up at Cedar Sinai. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, um, I'm curious more what was because I knew you grew up in a culturally Jewish but 
basically atheist household. But what uh, what and you were sensing that you kind of always had maybe a little bit of a, a spiritual yearning maybe in there. I mean, was there something... I don't remember hearing what was the specific impetus for you going, like feeling uh, like I need to, I want to become a rabbi. Like what happened? That is the million dollar question. (laughs) (laughs) People always want to know that, you know, it's Mm -hmm. a very sexy question. Um, And I I don't have, uh, it's not a simple answer. Mm -hmm. Of course, making big life decisions you know, I, I think anyone who has a simple answer, I'm kind of suspect right. about, but I will try to explain God, a little bit. God told me on April 26th. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. Right. And then blah, the blah, heavens blah. opened up and God shouted down to me. And from there, it was easy. You know, it's God talking to me. Absolutely. <laughs> big, big uh, bearded man in the sky. Yeah. White guy in the right. sky. Oh, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Old man, invisible, old, old super Santa Claus. Hero. Yeah, Santa yep. Claus, um, but also everything at the same time. You know, it, it gets confusing. Right. But right. yeah, I mean, I, I, I should also say my, I don't, like I'm going to to uh, seminary or divinity school next year to be a UU minister, Unitarian Universalist minister. And that decision for me wasn't like overnight. It was like a gradual process over, it's felt like a year for me to like, from the time I first started entertaining it to like it kind of gestating and then crystallizing and then being like, Oh, I guess I'm going to start taking some specific actions to make this happen type thing. Right. And would you say that there were kind of signposts along the way that kind of pushed you forward? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I mean, but I want, I want to hear more about, about your journey. I don't want to just hijack this and then, (laughs) That, that's great. I know I asked you about you, but let's talk about me. Um, I Maybe that was my way of dodging. Ah. The, uh, <laughs> There's no shame. No embarrassment no over shame. what no uh, what led you to it. I mean, maybe are you uh, are you hesitant because maybe there are reasons that got you into it. You stopped. I mean, because you left it. Obviously, something changed from what got you into it to why you left. So maybe you no longer believe in the reasons that got you into it in the first place. Why? on base off base yeah i think there's there's some truth to that i'll say that you know i think we are either born with a proclivity towards seeking seeking meaning seeking answers um discovering questioning and some people don't have that bug in them and mm-hmm. you know I, i've always been a little bit envious of those people oh, because totally. i think yeah. their lives are probably a lot more peaceful than mine <laughs> but um you know i think judaism also lends itself to that type of reflection we're encouraged to question and um, not accept things at face value so mm-hmm. it was also something where i felt supported in my own spiritual tradition to Mm. continue to dig deeper and the more i dug the more i wanted to know Mm. and at that point in my life i you know i was fairly new to los angeles and um i've always been you know a writer and performer and um tended to to hang out in those circles but 
I found myself being really drawn to um, a particular Jewish community in my neighborhood. Hmm. And uh, I found a lot of satisfaction there. And I found a lot of insight and um, it felt very meaningful in a way that living in Los Angeles can often feel <laughs> like there's it's void of meaning and it mm-hmm. can it can feel like a very vapid place where yeah. you know most people are here because they're chasing a dream and and chasing a dream is inherently you know a somewhat selfish pursuit right, right? right. i mean yeah. we're not saying that's a bad thing i'm not judging that but um i'm just saying that being involved in this particular community was giving my life a, per, a meaning that I wasn't able to find elsewhere. And I was really enjoying that. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. If there is, um, you know, if, you know, the idea of like limbo as like the place between he- heaven, it's neither heaven nor hell. It's just kind of like right? the place where I guess, depending on what theology or what background you have, it's where people who are not necessarily bad, but, didn't fully, you know, turn to God or whatever, however they want to phrase it, live. I feel like if there was a place or a city that embodied that, it would be Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same weather the entire year, more or less. I mean, it's been cold and rainy the past couple of weeks, but like basically the same weather. You don't can't keep, keep track of time. I don't know how many years I've been. I told you I've been here eight years. I don't know if it's actually been that long or not. That's what the dates say, but it feels same. like forever. Yeah, you I know? think I've been here 10 years. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I always think that if Los Angeles was one of the seven deadly sins, it would be gluttony. Mm. Just gluttony. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just, it, but I, and I certainly, um, yeah, I definitely, I mean, I moved here for selfish reasons. I mean, we, we you start getting that, like, there is a maybe a philosophical uh, rabbit hole slash sinkhole you could go into of like, isn't every action a selfish action? Like arguably me pursuing UU ministry is its own selfish action. Uh, you know, there's a, a, there's, I'm not doing it because it feels bad. That's for sure. You know, I'm not doing it out of some noble sacrifice of my life altogether. I'm doing it because I think it'll feel more fulfilling for me. And I think it's a way I can help people. Um, but it's not because I think I'll, not enjoy it. I'll just say that. Um, yeah, I, and I, and that's okay. Yeah. It's it's okay to do good things mm-hmm. for selfish reasons. I think so too. Yeah, I I think, um, and, and I think there's a if you try too hard to uh, condemn your ego and some of your selfish desires. I mean, it's all within reason, right? Obviously, extreme selfishness to the point where it hurts other people, we all agree uh, that's bad, and we have laws against that, basically. That's basically what most laws are, <laughs> curbing selfishness, because they hurt other people in some way. Um, but there's some people who do go into the clergy, mm-hmm. specifically seeking something that's going to heal a very deep wound. Sure. And I found... There was a lot of that mm. in in my in my school, mm. you know, I, and and it felt like. Are you familiar with the term spiritual bypassing? I've heard it before, but I'm curious on your take on it. Okay. Yeah. So 
spiritual bypassing is a concept that um, was first kind of created by this uh, psychoanalyst in the, in the 80s, John, I think it's Walcott, I want to say, if I'm wrong. Put it in the show notes. I don't know what you do here. Shame. <laughs> Shame. <laughs> but uh, the, the idea is that we use spiritual principles and spiritual beliefs um, as a shortcut to a higher uh, state of, of consciousness mm. without doing the hard mm. work of healing our emotional and psychological wounds. Mm. So a lot of the kind of faux spirituality that you see out in the world is, you know, a quick way of people trying to disconnect their spiritual life from their emotional life in order to ease suffering. Mm. It's like uh, adopting um, maybe a belief or an ideology or adopting a, a, a community, like just joining, trying to associate yourself with something. And this might not, you might not even be aware that you're doing, I would say most people probably aren't aware. No, I don't think most people are aware. Uh, And, you know, I also was guilty of that as well, I think. Mm -hmm. And it, I had to really hit pause and take a hard look at myself and say, what is it that I am really Mm. trying to do here? What is the work that, what is the wound that I'm trying to? to heal because I I have to be honest with you that that it was very hard for me to separate the people from the practice (laughs) and and I I had seen some things that you know it felt a little bit like the great and powerful Oz you know like I I went in and Mm. and I I thought that there was this great and powerful Oz that and then I looked behind the curtain and it was just you know yeah a scrappy dude. So, <laughs> one scrappy dude. One scrappy dude. Yeah, just, just waiting to fight somebody, of, pulling some levers. Who, uh, who is like still mad at his mother for, you hmm. know, not letting him be a rock star. Yeah, that's so interesting. Because I certainly felt a lot of those similar things behind comedy. I think people get in, I know people get into stand-up comedy on the open mic level for sure uh, to try to, often healing some deep wound. I mean, you see it especially, I think as for me, it's most evident in Los Angeles open mics when there's a lot of, uh, at least when I was doing open mics regularly, it was a lot of people just kind of being sad together and like using comedy to just kind of express, like it wasn't, it, it kind of becomes a like a, a way it becomes therapeutic, but not necessarily in a bad way, like an attempt at therapy rather than an actual, I think, a therapeutic solution. Uh, right. It, it, there, there's a reason that the sad clown is <laughs> right is a thing. But I also think there's there's some really there's just there's a lot of what you said that I just wanted to like. There's five different trains of thoughts I could go down. Um, I will say it. So I, I found some, there's a lot of similarities there with comedy. And also like when you go into comedy, I think you go in, a lot of people go in idealistically. I certainly did. Uh, and then you start getting, you pull back a little bit of the curtain there and realize how selfish a lot of the people in the industry are. Um, but now I think, I think I am not, while I was disillusioned from that and I had a disillusionment and, uh, a little bit with, uh, the comedy industry and all that stuff. But I, I think I'm not, 
I, th- I think I'm going into ministry realizing people are people, and I think there's going to be a lot of selfishness and that kind of and bureaucracy and hidden rules and um, things that you can't say that nobody, everybody acts like you can say anything or it's totally free or it's totally loving, but realizing there's politics and there's infighting and there's um, all this stuff. I'm, I feel like I'm going in aware of that, so I'm not going to be disillusioned by it, I think. I would like to hope. Maybe there's some other way I can be disillusioned that I don't oh, even there, know about. There will be times you oh, just yeah. haven't Oh yeah, I can't wait to be disappointed in people uh, <laughs> and myself. And, and your teachers, disappointed in your teachers. That's oh yeah, the, that's the hardest part. Definitely, definitely. Um, I mean, that's yeah. You hit the nail on the head. I mean, but um, I think too when we talk about man spiritual bypassing versus the with the alternative, I guess spiritual practice, right? Like the thing, something that is a genuine attempt to do the hard work, and the hard work to me is always like the is the discipline part is the like staying on top of your meditation or your prayer, your daily practices, staying weekly showing up to church when you don't feel like it doing, you know, volunteering when you don't feel like it, blah, blah, blah. Like versus being like, I believe everybody's going to be safe. I don't know. Like there's, there are ways to kind of bypass and make yourself feel better versus like, like you said, doing that hard work. And so it's, but in some ways I think everybody is fighting the urge to spiritually bypass if they're in a spiritual community, maybe like, and the whole idea of practice is resisting the urge to bypass It's because I think we're constantly becoming hypocritical. We're constantly messing up. We're constantly taking shortcuts in our lives. A lot of us are, um, we're constantly, sure. uh, you know, not loving our neighbor or whatever. We're not living up to the ideal very few people, I would say, extremely few people are living up to the full ideal of whatever religious or spiritual tradition they follow. And so to not be a bypasser of that just requires you to be honest with yourself and be like, nope, I'm, let me get back on the path. It's like what Sharon Salzberg, one of my favorite meditation teachers says, do you know her? You're nodding. Yes. Okay, yeah. I think what she talks about, I've heard mentioned this in some different phrases that, uh, over time, is that the whole practice is returning again. It's just beginning again. It's not a, this idea of perfection and perfect sitting, and there's no such thing as a perfect meditation session. It's just start. It's it's the act of starting over each time. And so when we notice ourselves doing a little bit of spiritual bypassing or thinking that we're good or thinking that we're like, oh yeah, I'm healed. Now I'm healed. Now I'm like finished with my work. Um, maybe the way to unbypass it is to just, you just start over. You just start again. Keep keep with your disciplines. Anyway, sure. There, uh, there's th- that perspective, which is, you know, the particular of my own relationship to my spirit um, and the work of starting again and, and coming back to your breath. Mm-hmm. And then there's the okay. Well, am I causing harm in the world? <laughs> Mm, you yeah. know, am I am I causing harm in the world by not intervening in the injustices that I see happening around me right. and avoiding, you know, unpleasant feelings because right. I don't want to get involved. And so I think when we want these really like beautiful, peaceful feelings, right? 
you know, people didn't like Martin Luther King right. when he right. was fighting for civil rights. You know, he wasn't a beloved no, <laughs> figure. No. Yeah. Uh, it's like something 60 some percent of people thought the, the march in Washington was a bad idea or something. Right. Yeah. Right. And, you know, he was doing the hard work of reconciling his moral and emotional and ethical positions to his uh, work in the world. And so I really use him as an example of somebody who, you know, I will never be able to uh, uh, live up to, but I just think we have to remember that. And we have to remember that, you know, spirituality is not about just warm and fuzzy feelings. And we see it a lot with now corporations trying to sell spirituality to us in the form of products, right? Right, Like, you know, particular beverages or particular retreats retreats or Mm -hmm. particular, you know, razors. I mean, that Gillette commercial now where, we're all, you know, talking about toxic masculinity and they're mm-hmm. selling more and more razors. So, <laughs> right. Um, right. So I just, it's it's good to be aware of these things. Oh, yeah. Well, a, a, another a non-spiritual version of that that uh, <clears throat> really creeped me out. I, I tweeted this. I don't like to reference my tweets, but only because I, I, I don't, I haven't even been tweeting that much, but it, it creeped me out so much I had to retweet somebody and add something. But uh there are now you know how like the wendy's twitter have you heard about like the, how the wendy's twitter like started like taking shots at burger king like it made it like a like really personable like they just they basically let their social media person kind of go crazy and like like be super funny and like kind of um dicey i don't know what's the word i'm looking for kind of edgy a little sassy a little sassy yeah very sassy yeah i had not heard that no so because She's of, a redhead, though. You got to watch out for. Oh, those. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. Meanwhile, I, I had, I they a, know that I'm a redhead, and you're a redhead. I, know. I have a sister who's a redhead too. Uh, but uh, anyway, so I they I think since then, more and more brands are like trying to get their Twitter feeds to like loosen up in that sort of way. But now, somebody posted how like Sunny D, like, had like some really depressing like like some base. There's like a series of brands now interacting with each other and want like sunny d was acting like they were depressed and they need help and moon pie was like are you okay like i'm okay fam and it's like playing on our uh our own mental health issues and the way we communicate about mental health to each other but they're doing it as brands and it was just so gross to me like playing into like totally just trying to capitalize on (laughs) all of our like loneliness and like um and and there's some maybe there's versions of that going on with spirituality um but i don't know that that was just something it's it's interesting how it seems like in our in our society almost no matter what corporations are just going to find a way to capture anything they can for money there's yeah. nothing sacred there's nothing that we have all societally are like oh yeah that that should be off limits from uh monetizing but yeah yeah and this whole idea of what is your brand? Oh yeah. Joe, what is your brand? As if people <laughs> are brands. Right. And we, right. and if we want to your you personal know, there, brand. There's this fear, right, that there's so much competition out there in the world. You've got to differentiate yourself somehow. So 
what is your brand? You've got to identify You have it. to have a brand. You have to have a like, brand. Yeah. Your brand is your personality. Right. That's it. <laughs> that's what it used to be. It, that's it. Yeah. Just that's it. And your personality is you. Right. So there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to, to there's nothing to find. Yeah. Yeah. Man, now I'm just like getting nostalgic for a, a pre-internet era when just, you know, people, it, it does seem that uh, our egos are being more and more rewarded by being more egoic these days. It, it doesn't seem like there's much as much of a reward for just staying, um, staying in, inside a, a more balanced view of your own personality and your own, uh, you know, righteousness gets a lot more followers than humility that maybe other people are right and maybe I'm not right. Oh, it's so true. You know, you know the, the saying, the person who says the least says the most, mm-hmm. that just is so not true I anymore. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's just so there sad. is no place for that person to, uh, I, I miss that person. I would like to bring back that person. I, I mean, that's arguably, maybe this is why, I mean, I, by the way, I love therapy. I'm not currently in it, but I've I've been in therapy before, and it was definitely helpful. But it's almost it's almost a sad indictment that we need to have we <laughs> we have to pay people to just listen these days because not many other people are able to just be quiet and listen to each other. We're not. It doesn't seem like we have as many conversations about what's really going on with us, maybe as we used to. Arguably, no, because we're not taught how to listen mm-hmm. in school. Mm-hmm. No one teaches you how to really listen mm. to another person. And this is a, a, a very critical life skill yeah. that we all need mm-hmm. to have successful relationships in life. Yet we are not taught it anywhere along the way. And, you know, I went to graduate school um, and I studied organizational psychology Mm. and I will tell everybody that the best thing that I got from that education was that I learned how to listen wow sorry what were you saying (laughs) I'm just here (laughs) listening (laughs) um well isn't that uh, that's interesting because do you feel I would imagine as somebody who uh I was entertaining the chaplaincy route but I didn't go the chaplaincy route I'm not going that route ultimately uh but Pastoral care will still be a big part of my job and my life as a as a minister. Um, I would imagine a huge aspect of chaplaincy is listening, like a deep, empathetic listening versus interjecting. Yeah, that's great, Karen. I know you have a terminal illness or whatever, uh, but let me tell you about God for a second. <laughs> you know, it's not really like that. Yeah, it's true. I the reason I um, was even entertaining chaplaincy is because I had done some volunteering with a hospice here in Los Angeles. And as a hospice volunteer, you know, you, it's the perfect training for chaplaincy. You go and you be with someone who's imminently, you know, dying and, you know, you're there not to make anything better for them. You're you're not there to talk them out of their feelings or to tell them everything's going to be okay because you know it's maybe it's, it's not, not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it was a good lesson for me uh and I also 
wanted to know if I could handle it. Mm. You know, I think that was part of the draw for me too, was can I face something really, really scary and can I do it with decorum and and can I be of help to another person? Um, and it was uh, it was not as hard as I thought while I was doing it. You know, I was sitting next to people who sometimes were in a delusional state and talking about you know, red sports cars and spaceships. Mm -hmm. And then other times just talking about their children or their, you know, husband, husbands who've passed. And, Mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't until the person actually died that I was, I was like, Oh shit. Like this is for real. Wow. Yeah. It's a weird thing. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's rare that we we enter conversations not only, you know, usually it's like waiting to hear, waiting to find the, the next thing to say, or it's like somebody will be talking. I mean, I'm guilty of this every day. Uh, somebody's we're having a conversation. They say something like, ooh, I can talk based on that. Like, and I start kind of developing my thought and I kind of, maybe I stop listening to the second half of whatever they're saying. Um, it's just rare to be fully listening without that, without planning what you're going to say, you know, to be fully with somebody. And not only that, like you're saying, to not change their mind, um, but to just be with right. them. Yeah. yeah. To not, you know, one-up them and be like, oh, that reminds me of the time that, you know, my car broke down when I was on the road. And, <laughs> right. you know, oh, my God, we had to call AAA and some dude showed up. I mean, it's always, it's, we we don't, we aren't taught that, Asking questions and interjecting your experience basically redirects the conversation down your agenda mm-hmm, and as mm-hmm. opposed to the, the person speaking who's speaking's agenda. Right. Right. So we're robbing them of the chance to share whatever it is they're sharing and making it about where we want to take the conversation (laughs) instead. Totally. And you know, it took me a long time to learn that lesson and and I still have to work at it. It's not something that you just learn and then you forget it's, it's the work. Definitely. And there's been settings where I've had to, that we've been encouraged to actively listen in that way. And some, some practices when we're sitting, like when we're sitting here talking, one practice helps me is repeating mentally what you're saying after like in my head, after you say it um, and, and focusing on that, like focusing my attention and energy on doing that versus, and if I notice myself getting off mentally track, I'll just redirect like, and it's just, it's almost like an echo. And then it, it's, it, it's a weird, it's, it's hard to kind of describe beyond that. Yeah. You're but. reflecting. It's the, it's the reflective listening, the, right. you know, just repeating back what the person said so that they mm-hmm. feel heard and I, and I found my listening skills are very very poor and like or and I don't know if I've just been trying to multitask too many things I think I'm better at like listening one-on-one than I am uh like listening back to I don't know a podcast or something and I, or if I'm like 
if I'm listening back to something, I almost have to like take notes as I'm listening or else I'm like, you know, there's a lecture or something if I want to learn from it or else I'll just be constantly. I mean, this is the story of like half of my uh, undergrad classes was they're lecturing and I'm just fucking around on my laptop the whole class, which is terrible. And it's like, so what a waste. What is a waste of like, I could be learning, really could be deep listening to what they're saying and fully like digesting the information. And if I took notes, I did more. I, I was closer to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, well, you know, it's crazy. Now they, they're they putting in those under desk bikes, you know? Oh, really? Like under the cycle, the... Yeah, I have one at home actually <laughs> really? for kids in schools because really? they're finding that when kids sit in desks and they are using their feet to pedal and, and cycle, that they actually pay attention better to huh. the teacher. Interesting. Um, and it makes sense, right? Like they have a place to put their energy so that they can hmm. be, they can focus. I mean, maybe that's why I'm like my deepest listening is often like when I'm driving and listening to a podcast is because I'm like kind of my active brain is sort of occupied. It's kind of scary to think about it in that sense. <laughs> <laughs> a note to self, don't ride with Joe right, in no. a car. <laughs> Every now and then I used to be like, I used to love freaking, I, I can't remember exactly what I said on stage uh, in doing stand-up, but I'd be like, yeah, if you want to get freaked out, just like try to remember the like everything about your drive here. And you'd be like, oh shit, Like I was totally on autopilot <laughs> for most of that, you know? Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, I think um, I, I think one thing I, I like about I well, when I was going, I, I did like a little uh, divinity school tour when I was figuring out places to apply. I visited like nine or something, like a stupid amount. Um, but it was it was cool that I got a chance to talk to lots of different ministers and faculty people and stuff. And what I liked about the chaplains I spoke with and asking them about chaplaincy was I did get that sense they weren't trying to inject a certain theology on me and these are very christian pastors who were just like yeah it's not it's not like if i was talking with a buddhist or i was talking with an atheist i'm not there to convert them or things like that which feels like a nicer and almost nobler thing than um maybe the i don't know if how many pastors have this tendency but the tendency to like somebody comes to you with a problem and you're like well that's great but it's okay because jesus loves you or jesus has your back like which is almost seems like it really it's maybe comforting to I think it must be comforting to a lot of people. Spiritual bypassing. Spiritual right bypassing. Yeah. But it's not like really doing anything about the problem itself, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean look, you, I think therapy is should be as ubiquitous and as available as religion. It's hella tight. It's hella tight. <laughs> I just wanted to say that therapy Religion is hella tight. Or no, therapy is hella tight. They're both hella yeah. tight, maybe. Yeah. Um, so I, you said in your story at one point you stopped feeling the call to being. Now, did you ever, was there a point where you, you had felt, you'd felt a call and then you stopped feeling the call or you just never felt the call originally and you're just kind of doing this exploration thing? Hmm. Well, I think that when you're when you have some sort of skill or ability to do something, it's easy to 
it's easy to think that that is a calling mm. for you. Mm-hmm. You know, just because you're good at something doesn't mean that you should do it, right? Uh, oh, oh, yeah. And this, this is the source of my mom. I, I was good at math as a kid, and my mom was a math teacher, but I never loved math the way she did, and she was so sad. Oh. So she wasn't, she, she wasn't, disapp- she was disappointed and sad, is what she was. Uh, she, was she wasn't even mad. <laughs> but maybe she was. Maybe she was. I don't know. Yeah. But, um, and so you kind of felt like you were good at it, but that wasn't necessarily what you felt fulfilled by per se well it was fulfilling but it wasn't right for me ultimately Mm. it was something that felt um satisfying i felt like i was getting some good feedback Mm -hmm. for my from my efforts Mm -hmm. um and Mm -hmm. that made me feel good Mm -hmm. it made me feel like i was being helpful Mm -hmm. but Ultimately, the especially with that internship at Cedars, I I was having a physical reaction to being in in that setting, mm. like, and I really started to think, oh, okay, so you will need to be in these in these walls, in these <laughs> these sterile white walls with oh, these yeah. smells oh, yeah. and these these noises every single day, mm-hmm. and. I didn't know that I couldn't handle that yeah, or that I didn't want to handle that. It, it just, it didn't, um, it didn't feel right. Mm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the sterile white walls just reminded me of, it sounded like the financial company I worked for. <laughs> 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 uh, not as many of the, the bad smells, but, uh, you know, people smelled fine around my, all my coworkers smelled great. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, there was something about the sterility of it that, um, just felt, I don't know why people, I don't know what that is. Like, why are we, like, it's like, we can't, we're like afraid to put any personality into these, into these sort of like, whether it's our companies or our, uh, you know, our hospitals or something, I don't know. Yeah, I know. Like, why? Why there. can't we just paint the walls? Seriously, can't the walls be blue? Is there a, is there a reason? I mean, I've heard there's psychology for like you know certain colors, like certain colors should be happier than others, and maybe white is just like a plain enough. Like, I mean, hell, my place is painted white, and it's done me okay. But <laughs> I don't know. I have also a lot of random shit floating around to fill in the space. I mean, wouldn't you think, though, that it would be good to have cheerful colors in a place oh, where yeah. there's a lot of sadness? You would think Is that. that. You'd think that, right? You would think that. It's not unreasonable. Um, I, I Yeah, I totally agree. Um, <laughs> I mean, you look at some of the churches of, like, you know, hundreds of years ago, they were pretty plain as well. You know, maybe or a cool steeple or whatever but then inside it's like you know red carpet completely white walls wooden uh pews and that's like kind of it um so i don't know so i don't know if it goes back to some kind of puritanical sense of like of everything man-made is wrong it's all i don't don't know what it is or it's just simplicity you know Mm -hmm. minimalism if you will sure i like i I can get hit with that um do you have are you a practicing Jew now? Do you have a Jewish community you're part of? Do you have any daily, like, 
Uh, how in touch with you are, are you with Judaism now? Maybe is that a better way to put it? You know, not not at all. I'm not hmm. uh, in touch at all. I I was very involved with the Jewish spiritual community, and um, that community is thriving and vibrant and wonderful, and that's great. I just it it doesn't feel good for me yeah. anymore. What was missing for you? You know, at the end of the day, I just didn't buy it. Mm. And I, I hate saying that because it's not, I don't think that it always is about belief. I, I think that it's also about action and just finding meaning in the doing. And I did that for a while. And, you know, I did everything I was supposed to do to get what I thought I wanted. But, uh... I don't feel um, I don't feel satiated being in that community anymore. It's I find meaning in other places now, yeah. and I feel like it's always with me. It's always going to be part of me. I always will say that I I am a Jewish woman. I identify that way, um, but. Yeah, I've really, I've really done a, a one eighty. Yeah, I mean, it's so. I I think um, it's so important that, and ultimately, I think this is where we're at now, um, more so than maybe in prior decades, where you would just kind of keep going and being a part of religious communities, especially that you maybe did or didn't believe stuff, but you just kind of needed to be a part of some kind of everybody felt more of a pressure maybe to, to be involved in something like that. But I, I, well, you lose friends when you, when you, you know, when you aren't hanging out there, it's, it's kind of the condition of mm -hmm. the friendships is like, well, I mean, you're part of this community. And then as soon as you're not, how am I going to see you? Right. You know, well, it's tough though. It's because we all have limited time and ultimately I feel like we're, we are closer bonded with people we regularly see. Exactly. Um, mm -hmm. And it's it is important though that whatever community you pick, you have to be philosophically aligned with them, um, and you have to feel like yeah, intellectually you're like you believe in the same kind of worldview. Um, that's all, ultimately what binds us. Maybe not Jews as much because you have the the shared, um, you know, what do you call it? Uh, DNA shared um, <laughs> genetics. <laughs> genetics, yeah, whatever. Uh, yes. Um, the shared Yiddish, uh, the shared Yiddish. <laughs> but the shared guilt and the shared shame. Yes. Right. But the rest of us and a lot of people, you know, maybe I think my grandparents generation certainly would, you know, people were like, well, my, we come from a family of Methodists and we're, so I'm a Methodist or we come from a Presbyterian. And there are some people still like that. Um, yeah. yeah. but I think more and more of us, we have to, we want to pick places that, um, we can buy. Right. Um, you said you couldn't, you couldn't buy it um, ultimately. And I think ultimately we can't sustain, like it's just really hard for any of us to sustain showing up in communities that we don't feel like we fully buy. Um, right, right. And I, I've i talked ad nauseum about this on the podcast and in my own life, Just, but that's, that is one reason that I have found a lot of joy um, and fulfillment out of Unitarian Universalism because it, it feels like a place I can get some of my religious community, but I don't have to 
there's nothing for me to buy other than like the print, the shared principles of humanism and like the sh- maybe buying into some of the shared actions and some of the shared like concepts of like helping how we can help the world and serve the world and serve our community and stuff. But as far as like, and, and that maybe, and some people don't buy into the Unitarian Universalist way of looking at things like that, or might say they're too liberal or too progressive, that type of thing, or they're too activist and they need to be more spiritually, uh, you know, there's not enough spiritual formation going on or whatever. But, um, I I like yeah. this I like the diversity in it too the the in the the spiritual humanism mm-hmm. you know and uh, it's strange because I don't know it, it, it's it didn't it doesn't appeal to you know the Jewish woman in me <laughs> obviously I, I I still have problems stepping into you know a church even yeah, just. Yeah. I, there's not, I don't have a problem with it, but I know, I notice it. I'm always like, oh, I'm in a church right now. <laughs> I'm Jewish and I'm in a church, mm. you know? And I found that on the, you know, on the flip side in my communities, in my Jewish communities, it was like group think constantly. Mm. You know, you have a bunch of liberal progressive Jews sitting around debating with each other about liberal progressive thoughts and right. ideas right. and everyone. And there was just, it was like the same person over mm-hmm. and over again. Um, and I'm, I think that's great. I'm all for, you know, sharing ideas and being together. But it, for me, it started to feel a little insular, like, mm. all right, well, I'm more, I'm really interested in meeting all kinds of different people and being, yeah, in, being yeah. in the world and, mm-hmm in more complex and interesting ways. Yeah. And I think that that symptom is, um, I mean, I think that's probably a symptom of Unitarian Universalism of a lot of different, I mean, we're, our religious spaces are more and more partisan these days and are more and more insular, you know, not, they're only getting more and more polarized, like all of our spaces, really not even just our religious spaces. Like every, it seems like every space is there's less and less um, diversity of opinions allowed within any given subgroup. There's more and more right. no true Scotsmen of everything, you know, conservatives and like, and liberals. I mean, you know, anybody who the only, the, only, the main people who are losing out are people who are centrists or moderates or, uh, you know, have some kind of, have the occasional paradoxical worldview or have the occasional like, Oh yeah. Like, I am I'm for gun control and against abortion. And people are like, how can you how can you possibly be that? What are you <laughs> right. talking about? Like right. what do you mean? Like why is it and I'm somebody who's like, you know, on the liberal side of both of those things. Uh, but I also think it's totally it it's total you can be totally congruent in your own mind uh and be against abortion and for or for gun you know, for any given one of these issues. It's just a weird thing that we've gotten to a place where if I pick one issue, if I, if I know your stance on one issue, I can, I shouldn't be able to name eight other issues that you're on the same side of. Right. We should be more complex than that. Right. Yeah. It's like, it's like if I know that you listen to Dave Matthews band, <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I'm going to or fish, you know, I'm a huge fish and grateful dead, you fan. know, an you image know. comes to mind. Right. Right. But you know what I'm saying? Like I shouldn't be able to guess 
somebody's opinions on everything just from their abortion views. Uh, but then, and maybe some people get mad at me for saying that because they're like, well, there's, <laughs> because the way I believe is obviously the only right way to view anything. And therefore, that's why we all, all the right people believe all the right things. Duh. Um, but I don't know. I don't, I don't, that makes me feel uncomfortable saying, like, I don't, I don't buy that. That's what I'll say. You don't buy that people who I don't buy that I'm right about everything, and I buy that there are some right some there's such a thing as compromise that that can be had. Um. So you're we're well we're actually we're probably yeah we're actually almost about out of time. Um. So you have no interest right now of finding a spiritual or religious community. Is that accurate? You're like good without it. Yeah, for now, you know, I, I do miss it. I miss the ritual of it. There's something to be said for ritual. And, um, you know, there's a lot of beautiful things about religious and spiritual communities. I'm not trying to suggest that, that there, you know, there's anything but, but, uh, yeah, so I'm still I'm wrestling with some of those feelings. Um but but for now, you know, I'm I'm pouring my energy and my um you know, my focus into other things. Yeah. Yeah. And it would be um and it, it, at the very least, it, it would be Im- probably impossible to feel like you could be a spiritual leader in that sense while being so conflicted on that whole that whole idea of religion altogether, right? I mean, I should hope not. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for coming over. Thanks for having me, Joe Quint. This was a lot of fun. This is great. Um, do you have anything you'd like to plug? Any shows you're working on? Any places to follow you on the social media stuff like that uh yeah well i um i have a new podcast that i'm producing which will be coming out on april 3rd Mm. um it's a really compelling storytelling podcast called all the wiser Mm. and um so yeah be on the lookout for that i also uh have a production company called Podkit Productions. Really? And uh, I help people create the podcast of their dreams. Wow. That's, <laughs> that's cool. Well, thank you for coming over. Uh, and thank you for giving me a little bit of, at least telling me what Yiddish means. <laughs> sure thing. I'll, I'll even drop a few uh, words on you before we leave here uh, so you can oh, yeah. say them to other people. Go for it. He's right, right now. Um, go. Yiddish, go. You, uh, go schleffy means I want to go to sleep. Schleffy. <laughs> schleffy. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, Kanahara. Kanahara. That's a good one. Okay. It's like you're giving me, a, you're making me crazy. Oh. Can, yeah. Like, I would say you're making me Kanahara or no? You're giving me one. You're giving me a Kanahara. You're giving me a Kanahara. I have to say it with an accent, right? Or else uh, it's more fun fully. that way. You're giving me a Kanahara. I, I, I decided Italian accent. Why did I just make that Italian? I guess <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, any other ones? You could, is that the, that can be fun. That can be fun. Um, not nothing that's coming to mind right now. That's fine. I have uh, to. You're a good Mitch. 
Is that a Yiddish word? Or yeah, a shmata. That's always a great one. Mm. Shmata. Oh, schmuck. Schmuck. That's Yiddish. Schmuck. Yes, yes. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, thank you for not making me feel like a schmuck today. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for making me feel like a normal... A mensch? Mensch. Yeah. <laughs> a female... I don't even know what a female mensch is. A uh, womensch. I think Terrible. that's the official... Terrible. <laughs> word hebrew dad jokes <laughs> uh, hebrew dad jokes.com exactly thank you erica thank you joe Bye. and that's the show thank you to erica once again for coming out thank you for listening the next live choose around religion is on march 29th at 7 30 p.m at neighborhood unitarian universalist church follow us on facebook choose around religion.com i love you jamaste Hey, I'm Steph Garcia, host of That's My Story, Period, a compilation of hilarious stories from people who happen to get a period. We've had stories about losing teeth, tampons on basketball courts, and even a little taste of Hollywood. I also interview some guests to give you, and me, even more menstruation knowledge. So check out That's My Story, Period on Campfire Media, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can have that time of the month all month long. Campfire.